This week's guest is Sarah Parniak. Currently, Sarah is the Canadian Market Manager for Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Sarah talks to us about how she got her start in the industry at an early age and how this eventually turned into a career, as well as discussing the changes in attitudes towards cocktails and the growing non-alcoholic craft beverage sector. As always, check out the links in the show notes and enjoy the episode. We're back with uh, an episode of the Industry Podcast. I'm your host, Kip. This is Dan with me as always. What's happening? Uh, not too much. Just uh, hanging out being awesome. Mm-hmm. And yourself, how are things going with you? Same old lockdown shit. <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, waiting for them to let us open bars again. We have a, a great guest as usual this week. Sarah Parniak will be joining us shortly. We should say from the jump that if you are enjoying what you're hearing on the industry podcast, where we tell the stories of people in the service industry, then you should uh, follow us at the industry podcast on Instagram. You should also subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to the podcast. That helps tremendously. A shout out as always to at Zach Hanna Design for the artwork that he has done for us. He's set out on his own, so you should uh, hit him up for any graphic arts needs that you may have. That's at Zach Hanna Design, Z-A-K-H-A-N-N-A-H. And also, uh, we should mention as well, a big thanks to Aaron Hatchell for the usual help booking guests, including one that we have on today. He has also started something new and exciting, AKT Hospitality. They're doing cocktail classes and spirit and wine education wedding and special event planning, and and so much more, it says. So much more. Mm. Okay, well, let's just jump right into it then. We're going to bring in our guest for this week, Sarah Parniak. Sarah, how's it going? Hey, guys. Uh, it's going well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for doing it. Thank you very much. You are coming to us from Toronto? Yep. Mm-hmm. So lockdown central there as well. Sure is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you weren't working in a bar directly before this, though, right? So it wasn't like... No, you know. I, no, I haven't been working in bars for probably the past, oh gosh, like four and a half, maybe going on five years, oh, okay. um, probably four and a half years. So, but I, as you know, you know, I work pretty industry adjacent yeah. and, you know, my whole kind of like heart, soul is definitely with bars and restaurants and hospitality. So yeah, it's been horrible to see what everyone's been struggling through. So just trying to order as many takeout drinks and as much takeout food as I can. Right. (laughs) That's all you can do. Well, talk to us a little bit about what your present job actually is and then maybe how that's been affected by the pandemic as well. Sure. Yeah. So currently I work for Seedlip, which are the kind of pioneering brand of distilled non-alcoholic spirits. I've been doing that for the past three and a half years. So I started with them as their national brand ambassador for Canada and have been basically managing the Canadian market for the past two years for them. So it's been really interesting because I come from the on-premise and worked in bars and restaurants for such a long time, uh, held various like, you know, consulting projects in and around the industry, have written, you know, vastly about spirits, bars, cocktails, etc. I think it's been an interesting transition to see, you know, how everything's been affected the past year and a half. It's changed just unfathomably, as you know, you you own a bar. A lot of my work has been with the on-premise, so like with our hospitality partners since I did start with Seedlip. So, and that's kind of like the greatest joy of my job is getting to connect with uh, people across the country that are running bars, making the drinks lists, 
hosting the events. And we just haven't been able to do that to the same capacity as the normal times or the before mm-hmm. times, you want to call it that. So it's been a hell of a lot more boring. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's, I love my job. I love what I do. I, I think, you know, non-ALC is such a dynamic and, um, you know, interesting area of adult beverage. But, you know, I never thought I'd say it, but I fucking miss activations and events so much. Like that was like, you know, 75% of my my life and job previously. And now it's like, well, we can't do any of that. So I would just basically die to be able to, <laughs> to make a couple drinks at an event for, for anyone at this point. So I really miss that aspect. Yes, I hear that. So what's the difference then from being like uh, sort of a brand ambassador and what you're doing now is, uh, as a market manager? Like you're still going out to bars and doing events. Yeah, like not, I mean, because Seedlip is, you know, a small but quickly growing brand, you know, initially as brand ambassador, I was doing basically everything. I was the sole Canadian employee. So oh, okay. obviously a huge chunk, chunk of my job was education, advocacy, engaging, you know, bars and restaurants to get them to get, you know, see the interest and and value in offering better non-alcoholic options. But now I still do that, but I, you know, as country manager, I'm kind of, you know, there's the commercial strategy element and there's, you know, the on-premise strategy element. And then there's just, we've started really kind of like trying to streamline and dig into our um, e-commerce opportunity Uh, because we're non-alcoholic. You can sell online in a way that you can't on a national scale with, traditional spirits so there's that it's just different it's just like um it's a it's a broader position than you know the more focused kind of advocacy on premise you know work that i was doing previously okay but you've been doing that with with them for some time now so c mm-hmm. hasn't been around that long at least or at least not in like uh, sort of the greater public consciousness like now it's you'll almost see it at any major cocktail bar you're going to find c-lip there people are because which is great to hear yeah exactly. my job right <laughs> that's right day. you're killing yeah. it you're killing it so. but basically like low ab or no abv cocktails are such a huge thing now which is great it's because it gives the bartenders a way to still be creative as opposed to like the dd comes in or someone who's pregnant or someone who just doesn't drink at all uh, and it's just like you have to get them a soda water with lime and it's they're taking up a seat. Now you can actually, you know, use your creativity, make a cocktail with something cool and also charge for it. So it's been a great, it's been great for the bars. I think it's been great for the guests. But at the beginning, did you find any sort of resistance like when you're trying to sell this product to bars? Definitely. Yeah. I think, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned everything that you did because there has been a marked turning point in terms of like how those of us in the industry view the value and opportunity for non-ALK and low ABV offerings. And that is actually now like tangibly, visibly consumer demand. So I think what's really interesting is like, yeah, you get some pushback because you're a new weird thing. Seedlip is like a five-year-old brand based in the UK. I was again, like the sole individual introducing it to the entire Canadian market. So there's a lot of territory to cover there. And there's a lot of like, what, huh? You've worked your entire like you know, ever since I've known you, you've worked in spirits, in cocktails, in, you know, and then on the writing side, like wine, beer, all of the adult beverages that contain alcohol. So I think a lot of people turned around and they were confused, Mm -hmm. at least my network of like why I was now working in non-elk. But I always saw it from the beginning as just a necessary evolution and this really interesting kind of innovative area 
with that had never been explored previously. But from my days behind the bar, I had been asked, and I'm sure this is the case for you too, like, you know, please, you know, pour my ginger ale into a champagne flute and don't tell my friends I'm not drinking or, hey, can you please disguise my soda water as a gin and tonic? I don't want anyone to know. So there, there's this kind of like fear-based missing out kind of thread that you would see in a lot of the guests that weren't drinking or were just trying to cut back or whatever it was. There's this like whole societal pressure to drink alcohol and this shame attached to like when you weren't. And as someone who like got into bartending and hospitality for like sincerely, because I love people and I love like curating experiences and I love making someone's night. It it was kind of like this real like lack, like Mm -hmm. why are we at the point where, you know, you can walk into like at the time, any like Toronto bar worth its chops and order like a really carefully mixed old fashioned with your favorite bourbon and a choice of like sugar syrup or and bitters, but you still are looked at sideways if you request a non-alcoholic cocktail. So I think there was that kind of, yeah, this on the ground, like need I saw for better non-alcoholic options. So it never like felt like a big shift for me to work in, to start working in non-alcoholic versus traditional spirits. Because again, I just saw it as this like continuation of working in adult beverage, but there was definitely confusion about what it was. And that's why like, you know, my initial gig with Seedlip was really advocacy and education focused because, and that remains to be so, because there's just so much education and, and so many questions and so many curiosity points, because it's just like this whole new realm, which we're now calling the no and low category officially, but you know, it's still like in very early days, but it is really cool to see interest building from the industry side and from the consumer side. So I'd say like, in a nutshell, when I first started, it was like, what's that? What? Non-alcoholic spirit? What are you talking about? Like, what? Like just this huge confusion. And now we're at the point where it's like, oh, cool. Tell me more. And how do I mix it? Like there's this, it's turned into like real deep curiosity versus like confusion, which means that we're making progress and that's really awesome yeah no 100 percent. and you can really see the difference like the amount of non-alcoholic cocktails we were like back when bars were still a thing that we were selling at my place right up before the lockdown it was crazy like pushing towards 25 30 percent of your sales in a night could be non-alcoholic beverages which is amazing that's wild yeah and you can still mark them up pretty good because it's not like seed lips crazy expensive and if you're if you just are using some of the ingredients you're already using in your existing um, alcoholic cocktails and there's a way to do it. I would say probably the people most pissed off about this are like grenadine though. Poor grenadine. <laughs> <laughs> Roses, cordials are like what we have yeah. been around. Uh, but I mean, you know, I think what's really cool and why you're able at your bar and a lot of other bars to now price non-alcoholic options or low ABB options similarly to all the other offerings on your list, be those cocktails or a beautiful natural wine or a craft beer or what have you, is that there's this overarching interest in like ingredients and like pre- like premium as denotes quality. And I think, you know, when I first started bar- bartending in the nightclubs, like over well over a decade ago, it was like, customer or guests would come up and like slap 20 bucks on the bar and be like, how drunk can I get for this 20 bucks? And (laughs) by over the period that like, like, now it's like, I can make you a drink. (laughs) Yeah. Like the cocktail renaissance took that 20 bucks and guests coming up, Hey, like going to your favorite bartender, maybe it's Aaron Hatchell being like, Hey Aaron, like, can you make me the most 
thrilling, memorable drink with this $20. So people want experiences versus like just to get, you know, blackout, which is really cool. And we're seeing that, you know, across food and drink and just in general. So I think there's this whole like premiumization and experiential exploration that people are like, yeah, I'll pay $15 for a a beautifully mixed, like premium non-alcoholic cocktail because it tastes great. It smells great. My bartender, you know, puts the same like theatrical element into the presentation and it's ultimately like an experience I see value in. So that's been a real kind of like, you know, changing or transition point from the past decade. Yeah. Yeah. bombs and such. <laughs> yeah, I remember last time I got an order for a Jager bomb. I don't know why I'm, I don't work oh. in a student bar though. So. I feel like the smell of Jager and Red Bull is just like kind of deep in my memory. And every oh. like, if you get a waft of that, it's just like oh and god, get gag. I know dredges up t- way too much, too much baggage. Yeah, yeah, that's my usual breakfast. So I don't know what you guys are making fun of. Wow, <laughs> nostalgic. Okay, so let's back it up a bit and talk about uh, your career personally before you got into. Uh, your present career with Seedlip. How did you get started in the, in the uh, service industry? I think it's like kind of a boring tail cap. It's like <laughs> I was, I started like working in bars and restaurants to put myself through university. But I mean, I realized I really loved it really quickly and wanted to explore. I, I always knew I wanted to be on the bar. So I started like I come from... Okay, I'll back up a little bit further. I come from an Italian family. So we're obviously really obsessed with like food and drink. And that's, you know, always the glue of like what brings people together, you know, spending three, four hours at dinner, like just chatting it out, like just spending time. And so I initially worked in like my uncle's restaurant when I was like 16, like busing tables. It was a horrible job. I think, you know, I've never... I pride myself on like never crying in bars and restaurants. I cried a bunch of times. It was horrible. But I did realize I was like, I love, you know, the wine or like, what are they making? Like I was always drawn towards like the drinks element, even in the early days. So when I started um, working at... Wait, you guys are kind of in like the Guelph KW region. Do you know the Stampede Ranch? Yeah. Have you ever been? Yeah. Okay. That was my first bartending job. Uh, um, I saw that in your bio and I was like, I wonder if there's yeah. one of those in Toronto or is this, she meant the same one. That's oh, no, the, no, no. The legendary um, Stampede The Ranch. OG legendary Stampede Ranch. So I started there as like a cocktail waitress and immediately I was like, I am going to do anything and everything to get onto the bar. That seems like where the action is. I like really, I love the pace of it. I love the idea of like meeting multiple people in a night. I immediately knew that I wanted to like explore what the industry had to offer, even though I got into it to make money to put myself through school. So I just kept doing it. I went to university for English Lit. So I was always interested in writing as well. And I started kind of blogging uh, about cocktails early days before there was really, you know, much going on in the Toronto scene in terms of like people writing about drinks. Of course, like, you know, OGs like Christine Sismondo were writing about uh, drinks from a long time. But there was just, yeah, it was just something I started doing as I was also discovering the world of cocktails. So like after I got moved on from the Stampede Ranch and moved to the city, I was working in nightclubs. But then I started working in nicer restaurants that had bars. And I was discovering like, you know, I learned how to make my first Sazerac. I shook, mm. I shook my first Ramos. And so there was this whole kind of trove of historical information that I could like dive into 
being kind of an English, you know, nerd, uh, I was reading a lot about, you know, getting my hands on all these old cocktail books, whatever I could read, and then started writing and blogging about it. So that just kind of like grew tangentially. I was like, you know, learning how to cocktail bartend and writing about it at the same time. And then that kind of like started like to snowball in a way where I realized like, oh, I really actually want to do this going forward. So at one point it turned from like, you know, my parents asked me, what am I going to do with my life? Like, why are you still bartending and you're, you've graduated university to them being like, oh, my bar, my my daughter's a, car, a cocktail bartender. This is very cool. So it was kind of at this like interesting point where working behind bars or working in the hospitality industry went from that kind of like, tra- I don't know, transitory, like kind of side hustle to like an actual legitimized career, at least mm-hmm. in the eyes of like a lot of folks that don't understand the industry and don't understand that it is a legitimate yeah, career path. Yeah, you know? it's definitely become more of that. I mean, uh, certainly when I was breaking in, it was like nobody looked at yeah. it that way. It was just like the exact way, like, well, okay, what are you going to do when you grow up the whole time? Uh, when when yeah. I'm like, this is it, this is what I'm doing, this is what I do now. This, I uh, am grown and this yeah. is what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. So uh, like a better host would have dug deep into your blog and writing catalog to have sort of read some of this before I had you on the show, but you didn't get a better host. You got me. So can we talk I'm a little bit? I'm deeply offended. <laughs> can we talk a little bit about like your early writing on this? So are you writing, like you said, you're kind of learning about making cocktails for the first time and you're writing about it at the same time. So would your early articles or blogs would they be sort of about your discovery of these cocktails and how to make them or are you writing more like is are you writing about your development as a bartender or are you writing more just about cocktails no it was more about cocktails and it was more like you know i would write like a piece on like what like what is a mint julep and like Mm -hmm. what's the history of the mint and this is like you know over 10 years ago so it was like Uh, those articles weren't like a plenty on the internet like they mm-hmm. were if you were a cocktail nerd but like for general consumers and like you know reading like it was post city blog which is like you know a toronto based like you know they do a lifestyle food and drink but like you know you you'd have like restaurant openings and then you'd have like a piece on a cocktail and maybe mm-hmm. because the derby just happened it would have been you know leading up to the kentucky derby so i was trying to like you know talk about cocktails that had like you know seasonal and cultural angle I, I didn't actually, now that it's interesting that you asked that question, I didn't really like talk too much about my my personal experiences behind bars. I'm sure I did at some point. I used to write a column for Now Magazine. I wrote the Drink Up column for five years. So I'm sure at some point, being my opinionated self, I talked about, <laughs> about my time behind the bar a little bit. But most of it was like, you know, focused on education and like on helping people understand a little bit more about something they might be interested in, whether that was, again, like a cocktail like through a historical lens or it was like this sick new technique that bartenders are using. I know I wrote a piece, uh, one of the last pieces I can remember writing was like on like alternative acidulators. So like, you know, when people started using a lot of different acids to balance their cocktails versus just leaning on fresh pressed citrus juice. So mm-hmm. like it could, it was, you know, whatever I could come up with, but yeah, it was, it was more like a, an excuse you know, started as an excuse for me to learn more and then kind of snowballed in like into a channel where I could like share that knowledge that I was excited about to share with, you know, consumers that were becoming increasingly interested and excited about cocktail culture as well. 
Yeah. When do you think that that started to happen? Because I like, I'm just old and, you know, decrepit. To, yeah, decrepit. Got a little bit of dementia. <laughs> yeah, you look like you definitely look like it. <laughs> Killed a lot of brain cells along the way. So I, uh, I can't really remember when it switched. Like, I sort of remember when we started doing, having more of a cocktail culture here in KW, but like, and and obviously that had like trickled down to us from Toronto and before Toronto from New York, New York from London, et cetera, right? But I can't like I can't put my finger on when it's sort of like it seemed like it, just like a lot of these things do, they seem like they happen just overnight, but really it was kind of a slow yeah. thing. And then all of a sudden it's like boom, everybody's doing it. Do you have like do you have any concept of like when it sort of happened? <laughs> I'm like a bad person to ask this question because I was actually complaining earlier today. I'm like, I can never remember the years. I'm really bad at like the years all blend together as markers (laughs) for me. But I think it was, you know, around 20, 2009 to 2010, I would Mm. bill it around there. But again, you know, you'd have to kind of check (laughs) check my frame of reference. But I think you bring up an interesting point when you're like living and working through it, you don't really see this kind of like seismic change because Mm. you're just, you know, you're doing what you do. But, you know, and all of that is so fast paced as well that seldom do you have the opportunity to like come up for air and like really think deeply about you know, your work. So I think at some point it just like became really apparent. And I think because I was a member, you know, I started participating in like the the bartending community in Toronto, whether those were like tasting events or cocktail competitions, you know, that could, you could really see that kind of side, the community side really snowballing and building, which is obviously so important for, you know, sharing knowledge and like pushing a movement forward. But yeah, I would say that it was probably around that, that twenty. 10 to 2012 period and now it's interesting because you look back and you're like oh yeah cocktails are just normalized right like before that it was like yeah yeah, you almost can't you can't not have a cocktail program at your bar anymore no matter what kind of fucking bar you are it's like you can't just be like a place that does craft beer you also have to have a cocktail list and it probably should should be beer-based cocktails and it's like i like i almost find like it's gone a little bit too far like if if you want to open a specific type of bar you shouldn't be like obligated to have a cocktail list, make the make cocktails. Sure. Like if somebody asks yeah. for one, but it's almost like you're obligated to have one now, but uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about as well, just cause you brought it up. And I think this is interesting. What sort of a um, impact do you think that specifically cocktail competitions had on the development of cocktail culture everywhere? Cause I think it's probably underratedly huge. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting question. I haven't thought too much about this, but I would say, you know, the community building element, would be huge. Uh, you know, I, and I'm talking from my own experience, obviously. And in the early days, it was like, Oh, that's how I started meeting other bartenders. That's how I started like, you know, Hey, I'm going to go sit at like Robin Goodfellow's bar tonight, or I'm going to go and, you know, check out this bartender that my current bar that I'm sitting at recommended, you know, you know how it goes when you're, you send, guests that you like to your your other bar friends and mm. you know vice versa it's like the human boomerang and yeah I, I just think it was like just uh everyone was so excited and meeting new people and networking and and again learning uh, I think there was also like on the brand side there was and I'll definitely you know say like Corby Pernod Ricard in in Canada did such an excellent job of 
educational programming, their advocacy programming, you know, they're, they're excellent bar, uh, brand ambassadors, kind of like engaging hospitality worker, uh, you know, whether you were like, I guess it's mostly front, front of house, but like just all of these learning opportunities, uh, whether that those were events, tastings, et cetera. But, you know, everyone wants to win something. Yeah. So like competitions are awesome incentive to get people to like, you know, A, nerd out, but B, like show up. Mm -hmm. So I think that the impact was probably huge. I will say that towards the end and like, you know, I went from competing in, in bartending competitions, uh, which I enjoyed, but like, you know, I, I wasn't like, I'm not like the ultimate competitor or pre presenter, but I judged way more than I competed in just over my years of then, you know, kind of like writing and, and working in bars, et cetera. And it got to a ridiculous point, you know, like some point, sometimes it was like, oh, there's like three or four cocktail competitions in one week, some of them yeah. on the same night. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, there, they got, it hit its saturation point, but I do think that when competitions are done well, and I'll shout out, you know, like Diageo World Class is an awesome example. Uh, Bacardi Legacy would be another great example. Like the incentives are so huge that, you know, it really does push people to up their game and to not only put emphasis on quality and creativity, but like on hospitality, like those, those top cocktail competitions aren't cocktail competitions at all. They're hospitality competitions. They are bartending competitions. And that's where like, I'm happy to see our industry on the cocktail side kind of firmly shift into is that hospitality realm, like service first, putting a smile on someone's face first, not like bore someone with, you know, your 12 ingredient fucking drink that no one cares about. Yeah, yeah. Like, so. So um, how specifically like does it, has it, how do they, use hospitality as a way of judging it in some of the, the bigger ones, like, uh, or some of the ones you were mentioning, like what, mm -hmm. what part of the competition speaks specifically to hospitality? Well, I mean, the challenge is I've, I've never done any of those, uh, you know, kind of like huge competitions myself, but I've seen some of them and attended some not recently, obviously COVID, but, yeah. um, there's just like the challenges are, you know, they're kind of like 360, uh, kind of like gauge of a great bartender. So it might be, you know, they're judging everything and they're all unique challenges usually, but like the stories that you're able to tell being a great bartender is far beyond what you put into the glass and these cocktail competitions or bartending competitions really show that. So whether the challenge is, you know, storytelling or a music-based challenge. Like we know how important like a playlist is to mm -hmm. setting a mood. Um, or maybe it's like kind of like an acting challenge element. Like, you know, as bartenders, we our job is really to like curate experiences and make people feel good, right? Make mm -hmm. people feel seen and make sure that they have a great time safely first and foremost. So, you know, using kind of adjusting your personality and your approach to every single guest is an art that a great bartender nails. So I think that's also something that comes into those competitions is like knowing your judges as if they were your like VIP guests mm -hmm. and like curating your experiences to them and your approach and even your cocktail style, et cetera. So it's, you know, a, a vast amount of research goes in. I know like, you know, my buddy, James Grant just won Diageo world-class for Canada after, I think it was like his fourth try. You know, like it is, and he has worked and researched and like 
you know, his ass off for years to get to this point where he's now like won the Canadian title. So like, it's definitely like the, the competitions of today, like those big global ones are like not, they're far and away, um, you know, like way more challenging than, you know, when I was competing, for instance, like 10 years ago or whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it's developed into a crazy situation, but I think the, the best thing that could probably happen now is just to lop it off at the top. Like, let's have those really amazing, crazy ones and then just get rid of all the thousands of ones underneath them that we don't really need anymore. But <laughs> Yeah, I think we've seen, yes, absolutely. And I think we've seen that a drop off there as mm -hmm. well. Like even pre-COVID, it was like, okay, like this is, it's hit its saturation point, like I said before. And there's other ways to kind of like uh, showcase cocktail culture. It also becomes like really insular when it's just like the same people competing for the same, you know, the same shit essentially all the time. And it's just like, you know, is that breeding a circle jerk more than it's actually like pushing yeah. the industry forward? I think so. Yeah. Like, I think it does help those individual bartenders. You push each other in a way and maybe you come back to your individual bars and you've learned something and now you're, you can expand it even more on your repertoire. But I do, I do hear people like who are very talented bartenders who are like, oh, I'm not even going to get involved in that. It's always the same fucking people. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's almost yeah. like a, the cool kids club that people don't feel like they can break into. But, uh, but so I think when yeah, it's no best when you do bring new people in, you know, like yeah. that's kind of like on what I think I wish we had a little bit more of actively in, in Ontario's cocktail scene anyway is like mentorship. You know, I think that there are certain areas of the country that probably do it way better than than we necessarily do but like you should be bringing new bartenders and encouraging them into the competition circuit of uh, just so that they it's inclusive and they feel welcome but also so there's new life but blood and energy and like um kind of like again pushing this momentum of pushing things forward not just being stuck in a in a feedback right. loop yeah, and uh, mentoring in general in in our industry is not something that occurs as much as it probably could or should, I think. I know there's certain bars like the Avery in Chicago or whatever will let you a stage there, like, but you're kind of more like their, their prep person for their cocktails yeah. than anything yeah. else. But maybe that's something that we could develop more even in, in our own communities of having like sort of a mentorship program for someone who's like, I don't know, working at a kelsey's or a keg steakhouse or something and wants to break into a more sort of um craft cocktail based type place that's yeah. something that we could be offering but that is not really happening yeah that's true and i think it'll be it's interesting too to see like where that's gonna go now that things have been so disrupted by our current situation with covid and i i'm not sure like i mean even though i got half vaxxed so yeah, I'm like, that feels too. like a Congrats. huge, thank you. It <laughs> yeah. feels like a huge step, but I'm also like, okay, well, who knows when I'll get the other half, hopefully mm -hmm. within due time. But even then, like, I'm not going to go out and like mingle at events with like, you know, 50, a hundred other folks anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these opportunities to connect with our industry, to like build community. Yeah. There's people that are doing it really well and to a virtual extent, but like, you know, our industry is really built on relationships and, you know, IRL networking and these community events and such. So, and not to mention like the actual like business side of welcoming guests into your bar and restaurant. So it's like, it's really, I'm, I'm not sure like where things are going to 
evolve to next. I know one thing for sure, we're like humans are hyper resilient creatures. We don't give ourselves enough credit for that. And Mm -hmm. industry folks are like the most hardworking, resilient, tenacious, you know, I'm sure you'll agree, like some of the raddest of the rad people I've had the pleasure of meeting and connecting with in my life come from, you know, industry, you know, colleagues, networks, et cetera. But yeah, I'm just very curious to see where we're at in the next two to three years and like how we start folding those kind of traditional community events and, you know, be those competitions or just kind of like tastings or whatever back into our new normal. Yeah, I know. And I agree with everything you said there. Like first, uh, firstly, with the the resiliency of our industry, the people have done an amazing stuff online over YouTube, what at Zoom classes, whatever during this pandemic. And it's great that like, especially because you think about the service industry, like how the fuck do you do the service industry when no one's allowed Seriously. to be around each other? Yeah. But people have done a really good job of that. The pro- but, but I think we would both agree. It's just not the same. Like it's not like you said, what so much of our job is interpersonal in-person contact right so it will be interesting to see i i I have a feeling that it's going to be like everyone's going to be so fucking starved for that sort of uh experience again that we might bounce back a little a little stronger than maybe we ever were before at least that's my hope and i and i just yeah i just think like people are so fucking starved to be back out in bars and mingling with people again that it might bounce back a little quicker than we even think it's going to. Yeah, I agree. I just, I hope that also within that, we have had the time to examine like the fault lines in the industry and like how it is not sustainable for case in point global pandemic, you know? So like, what are the new structures and systems that we're going to have to build on to ensure that things are future proof? Mm-hmm. You know, but I agree with you. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I can't like the idea of going and sitting at a bar and enjoying, you know, whatever it could be like, the, it could be a Coors banquet for all I give a fuck. Like <laughs> just sitting at a bar and, and bantering with a bartender is like a dream that I like hold inside. Like I cannot wait for that. So I'm sure everyone is in the same boat, you know? Yeah. And especially people in our industry, because we're all such... Like I say, you usually get into it because you tend to be social and we're all the type of people who like to sit at a bar and talk to the bartenders and like, fuck, the way that, like you just miss it so much. Like, yeah. Yeah. So well, I hope we bounce back quickly from that. So are you still doing any of the writing now or are you just chiefly concentrating on your like day job? Yeah, I've, you know, I'd like to say, yes, I still have. I haven't like really written much in the past like year and a half, I would say. I would say like I've just, I am very focused on continuing to kind of build the profile of Seedlip and just non-elk options in general, you know, in a, in a broader way for the long term. But I'm definitely like once a writer, always a writer. I'm, I have like tons of ideas. I would love to write, you know, maybe, I don't know. I have a few ideas. I don't like to like talk about anything that has not come to fruition, but yeah, I miss it. I definitely miss it. And I read a lot about what goes on in our industry and just food and drink in general. Um, But yeah, the past like year and a half, two years has really been focused on, uh, on my day job. Let's back it up again into like when you're first breaking into the whole C-Lip thing and like talking a little bit more about uh, how 
how you were trying to break the product in. Like, how would you be approaching like a bar? Like, because like you said earlier, um, you know, you walk up to somebody and it's like, oh yeah, you, you, they're used to seeing you in cocktail competitions and what have you. But let's say like they don't even know you, you as like an ambassador coming into a spot and you're like, oh, we really think you should be stocking this non-alcoholic spirit. And even, I guess where I'm trying to come at it from is like, okay, one, first you have the roadblock of like trying going to a bar and saying you should be doing non-alcoholic stuff secondly why can't they just do that without your product right yeah Yeah. well i mean any like there's no question that hasn't been tossed at me about the value of non-alcoholic options over the past few years i think back to you know just being a bartender at heart and in spirit for, you know, that's how I identify. Like, I like people. I like to just talk to people about things. And I think that kind of flexibility that you develop and hone as a bartender, uh, about like, you, you don't talk to all of your guests the same, you treat them as, Mm. you know, equally well, but you get to learn a little bit about them. That's how you develop the regular that's how you like develop, you know, relationships uh, with your guests, with your colleagues, with your uh, reps, etc. So you just simply take that kind of like social skill set and bring it to uh, a brand or a category offering. So obviously, like out of the gate, I used my network to reach out to people and say, "Hey, now this is what I'm doing. Um, it, I, you know, it's really interesting product. It's brand new." I, you know, I'm sure like myself, you've had many experiences behind the bar where you've been asked for better non-alcoholic options and the better, you know, the best that you could do at the time was like a melange of juices shaken and like garnished artfully, but it's still just a bunch of sugar in a fucking glass, you know? So like, or it's like the, the lemonade, I think like, I love lemonade, but like, God damn it. I don't want to drink a lemonade at midnight on a Friday. You know what I mean? So like, it was, you kind of talk to people, appeal to them on their level, right? So you've had this experience. I've had this experience. Let me also present to you the option to taste something new entirely. So I think, you know, tasting and education are huge necessity in non-elk and with Seedlip specifically. So you have to allow people to draw their own conclusions as well. Like I, when, when you taste seed lip in a seed lip cocktail, then you understand what it's trying to do and like how it functions and what it offers, whether on the business side or the guest experience side. So it's a lot of legwork because there are a lot of like face-to-face conversations you have to have a lot of education that needs to be like doggedly done but there's a lot of ground to cover and and what's really cool is in the past three and a half years that i've worked in the non-elk space and with Seedlip specifically i have seen like the impact of the work that i've done which is really cool and not to say i've done that myself i have not but um you know i've definitely been able to get the ears of folks that now see that now have a permanent spot on their cocktail list for non-elk cocktails. Mm. And that feels like a really big triumph because again, it's all like, it should be what our guests want and like what the consumer wants, what the guest wants or expects. And you, you should like, again, like hopefully take the ego out of your offerings in, in a, in a way that feels like, I don't know, just like you're, you're dissolving barriers. Right. So like you, you want, to have 
something for everyone, ideally, that walks into your bar or restaurant. And mm-hmm. that's not limited to non-alcoholic cocktails. I think it's really important to talk about like even the finest steakhouse is going to have a plant-based dish on their menu because they're fucking not doing good business if they don't offer that option. Mm. So yeah, I think, but within that, of course, there's always struggles. And this is the other thing, like seed lip or non-elk is designed to be for everyone, but it might not be for everyone and that's okay. So I think, you know, I've never and will never, um, go down the route of a hard sell. It's like, okay, well, if that's, you know, not something that you want, that's fine. But a lot of the time, whether that's just momentum of like the category at large or just like shifts in consumer behavior, people understand like, oh, there's actual value to offering like a a great non-alcoholic option or a great plant-based dish. Because even if that's not something I wouldn't consume myself as a business owner or bartender or, or chef, I know that there's tons of people walking through my door that do want that. Mm. Um, so, and I think what's also uh, become really apparent, you know, this is a really new space. We don't have a lot of data to talk about uh, no and low or non-elk, but now we're at this point five years in where finally we are gaining deeper insight into like, you know, the category and, and consumers within. And a lot of folks that drink C-Lip or non-alcoholic, uh, spirits or non-alcoholic cocktails or non-alcoholic beer are also beverage alcohol consumers. They're just the moderators. They're just yeah. the folks that are like, fuck, I don't want a hangover tomorrow morning, but I want to stay out a little bit longer. So they might even start their evening with their favorite craft beer and then, you know, decide to finish it with a low AB, a ABV beer or a non-alcoholic beer or, you know, in the cocktail sphere, same thing. Yeah, they don't have to be mutually exclusive experiences, and and more than often than not, they they do occur within the same occasion, which is you know something we we only thought like oh this is just purely for the non drinkers, oh this is just purely for the vegetarians, but it's like no, as a conscious person, I do love food, I do consume meat, but I try to not eat as much meat as you know I don't mindlessly consume meat. I'm like very conscious about my moments now. Because of many reasons, environment, environmental impact, you know, animal rights, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, yeah. things are not black and white, right? No, I, and I think now people are understanding that. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. And I've seen it a lot at my place now, too, exactly what you're talking about, where they come in and have a couple cocktails. And maybe they're just driving, but, they, but they're not ready to go home yet. So they have a couple cocktails. And, you know, like a lot of you're getting a cocktail in like a Nick small Nick and Nora or in a coupe glass or whatever. It doesn't take that long to drink that, but it's got a fair amount of alcohol in it. So you have a couple of those and then you're, you know, you're not ready for the night to be over, but you know, you need to stop drinking. That's what we're seeing a ton of that at my place. I'm glad that you also said that about like sort of elevating the non-alcoholic drink as well, because like I remember back when I was behind the bar and it was just like, Oh, somebody wants an alcoholic. It's like, great. Three different kinds of fruit juice, a shot of simple syrup, shake the fuck out of it. There we go. Don't forget all... the grenadine flow. Yeah, the grenadine. And then they're like, oh, this is so amazing. And they're blown away by it. And I'm like, I know I am fucking great. But really, I did nothing. <laughs> like, I literally like nothing. But so maybe you can explain to us, to our listeners, what seed lip, like how you would sell seed lip like the different flavors of C-Lib, what do they offer to a cocktail? What do they bring to a cocktail? Because we use it like crazy now. 
oh, that's well, great to know. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, they're, you know, so Seedlip are the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirits. They are distilled very similarly to how you would, you know, produce a traditional foolproof spirit, but we remove the alcohol when we distill. So that's kind of like where the name comes from. Um, it's not an infused product, for instance. Uh, we use, you know, raw plant material to derive these or distill these, these flavor. I think I would say like these, these expressions proceed lips. So like the, I think coming back to the educational piece, none of the seed lip expressions are intended to mimic traditional spirit styles. So seed lip is not a non-alcoholic gin. There's no juniper. That's entirely uh, a conscious decision. So there's this extra hurdle of being a completely novel product. But within that, we have all of these like really complex, sophisticated, diverse flavor blends that we can play with. So again, there's, you know, something for every palette. Hopefully there's three expressions or variants within our core range. We have the Seedlip Garden 108, which is very herbal, vegetal, like just super herbaceous and green. It's sweet keys, a bunch of different garden herbs. So like thyme, rosemary, spearmint, uh, hops and hay. So those are all, each distillate is, is prepared or distilled separately. And then we blend them at the end. So that's great in everything from like a non-alk Caesar that isn't just juice with some Worcestershire sauce in it to like a really awesome, like we have a riff on like a South side cocktail. So we call it the East side. So, you know, cucumber and mint and lime with the garden is dope. It's perfect for summer. And then we have the spice 94, which is kind of like woodsy and warming. So allspice, cardamom, oak, grapefruit peel, probably my personal favorite. I try not to play favorites, but like to mix with because it's just so flexible. There's like so many different flavor profiles you can play with. Like you do an espresso martini riff. You can do tropical inspired cocktails with that kind of spice profile. You can do like spice and tonic is amazing. Spice and ginger ale is awesome. Just if you're thinking about simple highballs. And then finally we have the Grove 42, which is very citrusy. I'd say it's probably like our most accessible flavor profile with, you know, there's mandarin, ginger, blood orange, just very citrus and bright uh, flavors in that. So you use seed lip as the base for non-alcoholic cocktails. So it's not something you sip neat, you know, it's not intended to be used that way. You've probably known you've mixed with it before. It doesn't have any of the traditional like flavor carriers that you have in, in a foolproof spirit, whether that's alcohol or sugar. So there's, yeah, there's no sugar, there's no alcohol. There's uh, also no calories, which makes it a nice, like lighter option for folks that might be looking for that just broadens, you know, the range of alternatives that we can, we can bring to the table, but it is really something that you use as a flavor base. Uh, and because they're all a blend of six different distillates, there's all of these different flavors that can pop to the fore or come out in different ways, depending on the other ingredients you choose to bring to the table in your cocktail. So, you know, you might not taste the mint in garden until you add uh, an ingredient that like really lifts the mint up. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like, a, it makes it a really fun kind of product to play with because first of all, you have to kind of like reteach yourself the fundamentals of like cocktail specs. Like yeah. it doesn't, you don't like, you don't just necessarily like sub seed lip in for another spirit. Um, you have to really kind of 
play around with it and, and get to know it a little bit, which I really thoroughly enjoyed in my time, like, you know, beginning, like as starting to work with the brand and to, to current, like, cause it really changed my approach, not only to hospitality, but to making actual cocktail recipes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're totally right. And I, my, like in my experience, bartenders love to play around with it because each um, expression of the seed lip does have a very unique flavor to it. They're yeah. not, it's not just like, that's what people need to recognize about this product more than anything, I think, is that you are making a spirit. You've just taken the alcohol part out of it. So anything, any characteristic that you would get from a regular spirit, you're going to get from this. And um, conversely, you have to plan your cocktail around the flavor of that spirit. So it's it's the exact same as working with like a whiskey or a, a gin or whatever or what have you. But just you've you've taken the alcohol out of the equation. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, there are certain little like technical differences as well that you learn as you start playing around with seed lip. Like you don't, di- you don't need to dilute a seed lip cocktail to the same extent that you need to dilute like, uh, you know, a barrel strength whiskey cocktail, right. for yeah. instance. So you're, you're shaking or mixing to, to chill and integrate flavors rather than, you know, dilute overly. So I will modify my shake for a seedlip drink to like five seconds versus maybe a standard 15. You might think about, I was talking about like alternative acidulators. Like I find sometimes too much fresh pressed citrus can actually like flatten flavors in seedlip. Whereas if I use something like a nice champagne vinegar or a verjus or something different, a shrub, it actually lifts up the flavors. So it's just kind of little, little differences uh in technique and approach that you learn to kind of like you know implement as you as you play but like i think that's really really important we want people to get excited and like play around and like learn and and also just like yeah just get stoked on being able to create something delicious for a guest uh that's looking you know that happens not to be drinking that evening and i think it's i just want to mention too that you know, the theatrical aspect or like the presentation aspect is super important. If you look at a bottle of seed lip, like there's a lot of care and thought that's been put into like the label and the design of our product because we want it to accurately reflect the quality of ingredients within, but also because we want a bartender to like pour it and like present it the same way that you would present or pour anything else behind a bar. We want it to live on the back bar beside all of the other delicious things to drink and for people to feel proud and, you know, empowered to order it. Be like, you know, I'll have that versus having it squirreled away or a blend of juices formerly that was your non-alcoholic default option. Right. And language is also a huge part of that. So like rather than calling something a mocktail on your menu, why not think about something that you know, makes it a really kind of like attractive proposition and doesn't make make people feel mocked or silly right. for ordering yeah. it. Yeah. So like call it a non-alcoholic cocktail, call it a temperance cocktail, call it a what do you call it at your bar? Mocktail. <laughs> Kip, we're gonna have to I just realized that as you were saying it. <laughs> we didn't used to. I think we used to call them designated drivers, um, which is maybe not even that much better. But uh, we got lazy during COVID. So, but I like temperance drink. I, I'll switch yeah. it to that in honor of this episode of the podcast. Oh, amazing. <laughs> I'll give it to you too. That like, I mean, mocktail is just easy to understand. Like people get yeah, what that is. They know what right? it means. But you're right. So it's, it's like. Kinda, y- 
There's a mocking yeah. quality to it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, um, like, whatever. I'm not going to war over the word mocktail. It's yeah. just something to consider. Something to yeah. consider. No, it's uh, you're right, actually. <laughs> but uh, see, you learn something every day mm-hmm. on this. Every week on the industry podcast, I learn something. Well, I do think also that what's interesting about Sea Lipids because they all have they're all unique expressions, but. And they're not the same as drinking like a real spirit or an alcoholic spirit. I don't mean to say not real. I'm mocking again. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Digging yourself further Jesus into a hole. No, Rice, Saunders. <laughs> I got it. I got it together. The, but like it, it kind of gives like bartenders who have tried every fucking thing to make a cocktail out of the same spirits they've already been using. What I found with our bartenders is that this is a like essentially a brand new uh, quote unquote spirit for them to play with. Like they like that it has a completely different flavor profile than they're used to fucking around with. And what I think we should do is when things get back to normal, even though we said there needs to be less competitions, not more. I think we should host a sea lip competition for cocktails at Sugar Run and uh, do a little uh, non-elk competition. Absolutely. I think, you know, also to do that, to get your staff engaged in, you know, like actually playing around with the product because like you can talk to people about you know the value of you know offering options from a guest experience standpoint or from a business uh angle obviously you know like the cash margin on a great non-alcoholic cocktail that makes everybody happy versus you know is way better than like a $3 orange juice that makes nobody happy yeah. from concentrate. Yeah. Cause you know, it would be probably not necessarily. Oh God. I just got some PTSD from the club days, the, yeah. of the, the mixer gun. But yeah, I think actually getting people engaged versus talking to them about it, mm-hmm. like, just changes the whole dynamic because people are like, yeah, like, oh yeah. Like I created something really interesting here and I pushed myself as well because it is different to create a non-alcoholic cocktail versus create a traditional full strength cocktail. Just like it's different to, you know, learn how to mix something like, you know, a classic Sazerac or something crazy like a Ramos. Like you, it's a different technical skill set that people have to like get actually engaged with on like, you know, a tangible level to really understand and get thrilled about. But um, yeah, I think an in-house competition who can make the best non-elk or lip drink is a great idea. I'm serious. I'm going to hit you up uh, when things go back to normal and we'll do a night at uh, Sugar Run. Maybe we can figure out a way to live stream it for the podcast. Oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Just piling work on them. I'm busy that night. Yeah. (laughs) He's going to be busy every Monday. I'll I'll be be (laughs) Trim my eyebrows that night. That's a lot of Well, it's good they need it. Manscape Monday, right? No, 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 that's going to be a thing. Uh, Manscape, if you're listening, we are open for um, sponsorship. (laughs) Okay, Sarah, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. This was super interesting, and I really, I really am a big believer in Seedlip as a product and what it's brought to the industry in general and how it's elevating the game of bartenders everywhere. You did a great job explaining it. So uh, thanks for doing this, and I will be hitting you up once the things go back to normal. We're going to do this competition. 
Awesome. Look forward to it. Thanks so much for having me. It's been uh, a joy. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Have a great night. Thanks very much. You too. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.